back. Welcome everyone watching online with us this morning at uh, Lifehouse SA at Home. Uh, today's, uh, we're taking a little bit of a break from our sermon series. Uh, we have a break today. We're going to be launching a new series. I'm going to talk about it at the end of my message next week. Uh, but today's message is one that we need, not necessarily one that we want. Uh, there's sometimes in Scripture, we come across passages of Scripture that uh, we read them, and uh, somewhat what we talked about last week, we, uh, we don't put them up on our refrigerator as words of encouragement for us uh, every day. These are passages of Scripture that um, strike home to us uh, and pierce us in the heart, but uh, but are things that we need as we navigate uh, circumstances and seasons of life. And so I want us to, to just kind of uh, jump in. Uh, I'm curious, how many of you would say uh, that you are facing some sort of trial in your life right now? That you just with a raise of hands, if you guys are watching online, you can raise your hand and, and I'm sure your family will see you. Uh, but it, you're facing some sort of trial right now in your life. A anyone? Okay, good. That's nice to know that I'm not the only one uh, facing a trial. I mean, even if we just talk masks, <laughs> that's, a, that's a trial in our life right now. Uh, where every, you know, most places that we go, we have to wear them. But, uh, but it may be other things. It may not be COVID-related at all. It may be uh, trials in the midst of our marriage. It could be trials in our health. It, it, it doesn't matter. But my guess is, is that we find ourselves at times in the midst of trials. And I, I want to talk about how do we navigate the trials of life? I think it's pretty appropriate for this time, James talks about this. James is the half-brother of Jesus, and, and I think it's interesting, I always find it interesting that uh, Jesus convinced his half-brother, his, his sibling, uh, that he was God. You know, I mean, if you've, I've tried that, it doesn't work. Uh, I've tried to convince my sister that I'm the authority in her life, and uh, it doesn't work, but we find James, who uh, after the crucifixion and resurrection is writing this book, and he, uh, he recognizes his half-brother as his Lord. And it starts off in James chapter 1, and it says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's convinced him all of these years later. He says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, he says, greetings. And he goes on to say, and what I've done here is it's going to be in the right order on, your, on the screen here uh, and, and on your screens, but uh, I've reversed the order a little bit. I didn't change scripture, so nobody freak out that I'm a heretic or something, but I've just reversed the order for us English speakers to kind of read it a little bit better, okay? So uh, James says, whenever you face trials... I want to pause there for a second because it's not if ever, it's whenever. In other words, trials are going to happen. In fact, many of you just said they are happening right now. It says whenever you face trials, and the Greek word for, for the word face there is actually the word uh, that would be described as you're taken back by surprise. Uh, in, in some Greek literature, that word face, uh, the Greek word face there is used as uh, someone who's getting robbed. Uh, it's, a, it's a word that's, that you're taken back by surprise. You're surprised uh, 
by trials. So whenever you are surprised by trials, whenever you wake up one day and, and you're su surprised by trials of many kinds, when you find yourself in March and all of a sudden there's trials in your life, he says, here's what we are to do. He says, consider it. Adjust your perspective as pure joy, my brothers and sisters. R reframe it. Whenever you face these trials, reframe the trial so that you can see it as a source of joy. And this is the kinds of scriptures that we don't really love, but that we really need. Right off the bat, he challenges the fact that he knows that we're going to go through trials. Trials are, are something that's just going to be a regular part of our life. And they have this potential to actually teach us something. To teach us really to, to grow up. That God will allow trials in our life. A testing of our faith, if you will. And, and it's because he sees value in it. And I think it's easy for us, if we're not careful, to get mad at God for allowing trials in our life, right? We, we go through difficult circumstances, and our response is to get angry at him because he's like, we're like, why? Why are you allowing me to go through this? But before you get angry at God, I would just remind you that if you have children, you do the same thing, right? You, you allow trials in your children's life. Uh, if your kid wakes up and says, I don't want to go to school today, your response to them is get out of bed, make your bed, and then now it's not go to school, it's log on to school. It's log on. And if you don't like it, too bad. You, you're going to do it, and you're going to do it because I want you to graduate someday so that you can pay your own bills. That's the that we, we put our children through these kinds of pain and misery in their life so that they will at one day grow up in their life. That I want my kids to grow and I allow for tests in their life. If you go to school, you take tests and tests tell you something about your circumstance. They will tell you or, or reveal to you that you need to either redo the material or it will tell you that you're ready to go on to the next level. You're ready for more in your life. And I would just say that God's interested in moving you on. He's interested in you growing up. He, he cares about you. He loves you enough to allow you to go through tests and trials. He would say to us that our, he's more interested in our character than he is our comfort or more interested in our holiness than he is in our happiness. He loves you and he wants you to grow. Proverbs 17.3 says, uh, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Meaning there's something that, of a refining that takes place in our heart in the midst of testing and trials. So how does that happen? Well, here's our first point this morning. We must, first, we, we must recognize what's really going on. See, one of the greatest tragedies of a test or a trial is that the problem itself hijacks the learning experience. It takes away from the process or it takes away from the thing that God wants to do in your life. You, you can't see what could happen because all you can see is what is happening in your life. 
whatever it is that you have going on, whatever your trial may be, that is the testing of you right now. And through this, there is some lesson to be learned, but if all we can focus on is the trial, then we may miss out on the lesson. I want us to see what James says next in verse 2 and 3. He says, I want you to consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind. And then he gives us the why, the because. He says, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. He says, because trials expose the authenticity of our faith. Trials expose the authenticity of our our confidence in God, our trust in him. When I'm faced with a trial, I'm immediately discovering something about my faith. Do I trust my God? Do, Do I believe that he has something greater in my life? When we face a trial, we're discovering what it is that we actually believe. Or we're discovering what we pretend to believe. Or what we're taught as a child to believe, but maybe we haven't adopted or embraced as an adult. See, your faith or the the authenticity, the genuineness of our faith is tested in the midst of trials. You could say it like this, when your circumstances deteriorate around you, an artificial counterfeit, a what's-in-it-for-me kind of faith begins to deteriorate with it. James tells us that there is joy in discovering how genuine our faith is in Christ. See, all tests and trials are trying to develop a character, inside, a character quality inside of us called the patience of perseverance. That we are to continue to press in even in the midst of difficult circumstances. The ability to go through and not react like we used to react. To not step away and take the easy way out. The challenge here, though, is we live in such an instant gratification world, don't we? We almost have been conditioned to not want to persevere. I mean, I can, uh, and granted, it's heightened now with quarantine and different things, but if there's food that I like, most likely I can go onto an app and I can order that food and have it delivered to my house. Not as quickly as I would like, but how dumb is that statement, that, that I can actually get on an app and have it delivered to my home. I can pre-order my groceries, pull into HEB, and have them put into the back of my trunk. We live in this instant gratification world where I can go through Chick-fil-A and get the most amazing chicken in the world all through a drive through in the matter of minutes. We've been conditioned not to persevere. We take this to things in our life and we as we go through difficult circumstances where we need healing or we need the restoration of a marriage or we need God to do a miracle in our life and so we pray and when God doesn't respond immediately we say well it must just not be his will it must not be that must not be in the cards for me which we probably shouldn't say by the way in the cards that's That's a whole tarot cards 
saying. Different team, different organization, actually. The, the, the truth is, is when we pray, we pray once and don't persevere in our prayer. And when I say that, I know that I'm making some really large blanket statements, but it's almost as though we've been conditioned that if we don't get our answer right away, we believe that is the answer. And I would just encourage us that Jesus reminds us in Luke chapter 11, verse 9, he says, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. That's a continuum. That's an ongoing, like, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. Jesus isn't saying, like, knock and ask, and if there's not a response, immediately to walk away. It's, it's not a, it's not a hey, I'm going to pray this prayer, and if it doesn't work, then, then I'm not going to pray for it anymore. The response is really to do it again and again, to persevere in the midst of our trials, to persevere asking God for that miracle in our life. You say, well, I prayed and it didn't happen. Well, pray again. Well, what do I pray? Well, pray the same thing again. Do I have to use magic words to pray? No. Just use the same words, pray again. I wonder how many of us are one prayer short of God moving and working in our life. When I was a kid, I grew up in a little town called Roseburg, Oregon. It's a town of about 20,000 people. Um, it's a logging town. Uh, that's the pr- that was the primary um, uh, trade of that community. And when the Spotted Owl came in, if you're young, you don't know what this is about. But if you're older, you'll remember the whole Spotted Owl nonsense. And I, I'm not going to say it's nonsense, but, you know, I'm just going to say some of my friend's parents wanted to kill him. And... Uh, <laughs> And there's this spotted owl thing where, you know, it's an endangered species, and it really shut down the logging community. I don't know why I'm telling you this, other than to say that uh, in Roseburg, you heat your house oftentimes with wood. And, uh, and if you're rich, then that's not a problem, because you order, food, you order your wood to, <laughs> I was going to say food, I'm kind of hungry this morning, but you order your wood to come in. You know, hey, I'm going to order three cords of wood, cords is a stack of wood, and it gets delivered and stacked to your house. That's an amazing thing. My family, however, was not rich. And so you had to cut your own wood. You had to split your own wood. And, and we had this crazy dumb idea as a youth group and as a Christian school that uh, we would do this for a fundraiser. I'm like, I'm more into car washes and bake sales, but my uh, leadership wanted to cut wood and to sell wood as to the rich people, uh, you know, as a fundraiser. And so we would go out early on a Saturday morning, and whether it was my youth pastor or my teacher from school, and there would just be massive chunks of wood that needed to be split and loaded up into a truck. And, uh, and interestingly, our youth pastor always got to run the hydraulic splitter that was there, and, and split the wood that way, uh, the rest of us peons had to use what's called a maul to split the wood. And I, I know I may sound like I'm, I'm, I'm speaking down to you, but I'm assuming that most of you have never split wood. So, how many of you have actually split wood before? 
I take that back. So most of you know what I'm talking about, and, uh, and, but I, I'm, I'm saying it for the people online. Clearly those people have not ever split wood because um, they're at home. No, I'm just kidding. No, the, the truth is, is you, so you have this mall and you put the, the round on there, the stump on there, and you have to hit that thing. And usually you have some guy wearing flannel or plaid or something with suspenders standing next to you with chew in his mouth. And he's telling you, well, he's not telling you how to do it. He's watching you not do it. And so you hit it, and, and if it's me, it just bounces off. And you hit it again, and it bounces off again. And, and he's kind of laughing about it. He thinks it's funny, and I don't. And, and eventually, if you hit it, in the way that I did it, I was like trying to, maybe if I hit it in different directions, uh, then maybe it would take. Then maybe it, it would split. And and then you would have somebody next to you saying to you, um, it doesn't split when you do it differently. It splits when you do it consistently in the same spot. You might need a little arm muscle as well, uh, would be his phrase. But see, oftentimes what we do is we just, if we are weak, we're going to need to build that up. We're going to have to consistently hit it before it splits. But oftentimes what we want to do is we want to just take it over to the hydraulic splitter and do it the easy way. And I wonder if in the midst of our trials, the Lord is just saying to us, I want you to consistently, consistently come into my presence and ask. There's character to be learned in the midst of the things that we are saying God, get me out of this. He's really saying, I want to do something through this. He's trying to, to develop something inside us. In fact, he may be interested more in what he's doing in you than what he's doing through you. You know, in the, in the case of splitting wood, it's like there's probably some strength that's going to have to be built up in me before I'm ever going to be splitting wood. Which leads me to number two, our second point. That we're to cooperate with God's growth process. That He's gonna do, He's gonna do it whether you like it or not. He, he wants to develop the best in you. In verse 4 of James chapter 1, it says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything, which is honestly, it's kind of what we're praying for. We say, oh God, give me all of you. Give me everything that you have for this life. And he's like, are you sure? Because there might be some perseverance that needs to take place. There might be some trials that are going to be necessary. You're going to have to hit that thing a lot. Are you sure? But it's what we're asking for, isn't it? We're saying, God, we want more of you in our life. We want more of what you have for us in this life. And he would just say there. There may be some things that you're going to have to walk through. I heard a story of a man that was asked, how do you become successful? And he says two words, good decisions. And he was asked, well, how do you make good decisions? And, and he said one word, experience. Well, how do you get experience? And he says two words, bad decisions. 
See, most churches really kind of don't talk about the trials because, because we want to believe that, that once we surrender our life to Jesus, it's just going to be nice and easy. It's going to be the easy path to righteousness. And the truth is, is there's lots of difficult times that are going to come about because it's whenever, not if ever. There's a lot of verses that talk about the reality of the value of suffering. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 4 says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character brings about hope. Hear a lot of hopelessness in our world today. The recipe for hope is Perseverance, and the recipe for perseverance is suffering. First Peter chapter 1 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though, you're, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We see that trials, again, expose the authenticity of our confidence in him. God's trying to develop something in us, and we must cooperate with the process that he has us in. Some of the best things in my life have come out of some some challenging times. Some times in my life where I thought it was supposed to go one way, and it didn't. If we're going to make it through, if we're going to make it through the challenges and the trials of our life, we're going to, and this is point number three, we're going to have to ask God for help. Trials help me be consciously aware of my dependence and my need for God. Let me just give you a little bit of insight into all of our little insidious hearts. When everything is going great, well, not ours, it's probably just mine, but when everything is going great, everything is like we want it. We don't have our mind and heart set on the Lord at all. In fact, we think that, that we're doing pretty well. We're kind of nailing this life thing and we're going through this life without a need for him to be a part of it. I'm the one that establishes the greatness of today. But if everything's going right, I did it. But if everything's going wrong, God, why do you hate me so bad? Well, well, why are you allowing this? This isn't fair in my life. And, And that's just a little bit of a peek into our humanity, isn't it? Where when everything's going great, we're fine. Everything's fine. Look at what I've done. I'm so holy. And then when things take a turn, and we find ourselves in the midst of tri- trials and, and tests, it's like, God, where are you? James goes on in verse 5. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Wisdom is the ability to apply what you already know. 
The prayer is not, God, get me out of this. It should be, Lord, what are you teaching me in the midst of this? Our prayer should be, God, would you give me more patience as I endure this trial? Will you give me more kindness in how I respond to people? God, I want you to teach me. I want you to trust me. I want to put my trust in you in all of this. Which leads to the final point, which is number four, to keep a good attitude. I was reminded of these verses this past week by Pastor Lucy. She mentioned this in one of our meetings. And it's interesting to to me as we talk a lot about, Lord, would you give me wisdom, right? We, we like that verse. If anyone lacks wisdom, would you give it to me? And then it goes on to say, he gives generously to all without finding fault. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. So if you ask him for wisdom, he is generous to give you wisdom. But then when you receive that wisdom, you must not doubt. You must believe that is from him. You should have faith. If you If you want a good word that interchanges with faith, it's attitude. Faith is your your outlook on something, right? It doesn't look possible, but you trust in him. That's your attitude. You put your trust in him. It goes on, it says, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. This has been a year, in my opinion, of decisions that feel like we're being tossed back and forth, like in the wind. You know, I recognize that many of you may not be in decision-making roles necessarily, but certainly you are for your family. If you've got children, you're like, do we keep our kids enrolled in public schools, doing it online through a screen? Do we homeschool our kids? You know, what... What do we do? As a pastor of a church in the middle of a pandemic, I don't know if you guys know this, but I've never pastored through a pandemic before. And uh, turns out, it's not fun. Do we close the church? Do we open the church? Do we keep the church open? Do we, uh, do we require mass? Do we not require mass? Do we social distance? Do we not social distance? Do we tell people... Uh, do we discuss uh, uh, racial diversity uh, in the midst of our culture that we live in? Do we not? Do we, uh, what are other decisions I've had to make? Uh, do we have kids? Do we not have, you know, do we have Lifehouse kids? Do we not have Lifehouse kids? There's, there's just all of these, and it doesn't seem like any of them are right answers. And then this, this last week, I'm faced with uh, yet another one. And I don't know why I'm surprised because it's, you know, 2020. Uh, That's kind of our saying right now. It's like something bad happens. Oh, 2020. Uh, I found out this last week that uh, the femoral, I don't know if that's how you say it. There'll be some doctor or medical person that will correct me. But the femoral head in my hip uh, has early onset avascular necrosis, which means the bone's dying. So now it's not a matter of if I get surgery, it's a matter of when I get surgery. And, and then you get input to these 
decisions, right? Because you want to gain the wisdom, and you pray, and you say, God, would you give me wisdom? And you're like, I know you're probably busy, or uh, I know you don't know a lot about the hips, so uh, I'm going to ask all the doctors in my life and all of the, the salespeople of hips and, uh, and, all, and all of this, and, and I'm going to gain, gain the wisdom of, of the people. And uh, you find out that a hip can last you 35 years if you take care of it, or 10 if you take care of it. <laughs> you find out that you, your, your hip as it stands may last um, 18 months, or it may last five years. So... So just make a decision, you know, just decide, you know, whether you're going to do it now or later. And you find yourself in the midst of these decisions that it doesn't seem like there's any right answer. And we go to all the wealth of wisdom of this world when really we probably ought to just rest in the wisdom of our God. It doesn't mean we don't listen to science. It doesn't mean that we don't ask for wisdom or opinions of other people. I've asked lots of opinions. But Pastor Lucy reminded me this last week that if you've asked God for wisdom, he's going to give it to you. And once he does give it to you, listen to it. She said it about that meme too. She said, listen to it. And stop being tossed back and forth. Like, a wave in the storm. I got probably some of the best advice yesterday at prayer where it was just when you're at peace, then you make your decision. And that is the wisdom of the Lord, isn't it? When, when we receive wisdom, there's something so peaceful about that. It doesn't mean the decision is easy. It doesn't mean that what we're going through is easy. The trial that we're faced with is easy. But there should be an element of his peace that surpasses all understanding in the midst of it. God is saying, I, I need you in the middle of your storm, your trial, your testing. That when you think it's, it's not going to work to put your trust in him and say, yes, it is. We can say, God, I, I don't see it. I, I don't know how, I don't, I don't know how, I don't see a way through this. But we say, I trust in you. I'm going to stand, as we talked about earlier, firm on the foundation of your promises. And he's going to say, now watch what happens next. In verse 12, it says of James chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, here's the promise, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. James reminds us that in the midst of our perseverance, on the other side of this, there is the promise of something greater. And again, I'm not one of those uh, teachers, preachers, people who are like, you're going to make it, you're fine. You're like, I'm not a cheerleader, but I am a truth teller. And the truth is, is that 
The promise of God is that if we persevere through whatever it is that you're dealing with and going through, you're going to experience the crown of life that God has promised. You're going to receive it. It may be in this life, it may not, but you're going to experience his promises. Jesus reminded of this, and I'll tell this story real quick, in a parable that he's, he's telling a massive group of people. He says that Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray. This is from Luke chapter 18, and not give up. I didn't give this to the guys. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me the justice against the adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, but because this widow keeps bothering me, I'm going to see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me, which I thought was funny. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will find, will he find faith on the earth? I thought that was an interesting last statement. Because we have been so conditioned not to persevere, my question to us is when Jesus returns, and who knows when that is, could be sooner than later, could be later than sooner. You can quote me on that. You can mark that. It's either sooner or it's later. Or it's later or it might be sooner. So I'm just making that statement on this day. The question for us is, will he find a people of faith? Will he find a people who have put his, their trust in him that, that will continually persevere in the midst of our trials? Because he's looking for people of faith. He's looking for people who will put their trust in him. I hope that, at least speaking for myself, that in the midst of trials, it's not easy. I mean, it wouldn't be a trial if it was. But that in the midst of them, I will persevere. I will constantly ask the Holy Spirit for his strength, for his wisdom. And that on the other side of that, I will experience his promise. Let's pray.